Well, we are in our series that we kicked off a few weeks ago, The Big Story, and I've said this is a different kind of series, and, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. Now, I'm a dad. Most of you know that. I'm a dad. i got three kids, and one of the, my favorite things, one of the things I love about being a dad is that my kids think I'm awesome, okay? They do. My kids think I am the fastest, I am the smartest, I am the strongest man on earth, and I don't tell them otherwise, <laughs> right? They're like, you're so strong, dad. I'm like, yeah, I am, <laughs> I'm pretty awesome, kids. <laughs> but, but along with that, my kids think I know everything, right? They're constantly asking me questions, and I'm like, I don't know, you know, but I, but I fake it most of the time. And it happens when I watch movies. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. We'll watch a movie. It's the first time any of us have seen a movie. And constantly in the movie, what are they saying? Dad, who's that? Dad, what's going on? What's happening? I'm like, I don't know, kids. This is my first time seeing the movie. Let's be quiet, right? Can we just watch the movie? But the reason I say that is this feeling, I think, is a feeling that a lot of us have when we approach Scripture. We hear sermons, we hear characters, we hear Bible stories, all these kind of things, and we're like, this is good. I don't know where this fits in. I don't understand this. And that's the point of this series here, the big story. I'm, I'm trying to look at this whole thing and say, what is the big story going on here? And I said, the problem is when we don't understand the big story that's going on, it's the question that I've been saying every single week. We ask the question, how does God fit into my story rather than how do I fit into his story? story. And the hope here in this series is that we'll look at the big story of Scripture, the overarching story of Scripture, and discover where we fit into what God is doing in the world. But secondly, my desire is that we'll understand how this big story constantly points us to Jesus. Remember week number one? What was the question? The Sunday school answer is always right. It's Jesus. That's the point. This whole Scripture is pointing us to Christ, and I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. Exodus, turn there in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 18. As you're turning in there, just a reminder, we're in our Bible reading plan as we're reading through the whole Bible this year, and uh, so many of you are following along. I think we got 120 on the YouVersion reading plan that are joining on with that. If you haven't jumped in, do that. Go to our website. You can click on that link. Man, if you haven't been watching the videos that come along with that from the Bible Project, you're missing out. It is so helpful in understanding Scripture and understanding the story. Take advantage of that. Would you stand with me across the room? Nothing sacred about staying. It's just what we do to say, God, we honor your word. We care what you have to say more than anything else. Exodus 20, beginning in verse 18, says this. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us. And so right now, we get rid of all the busyness of our lives, everything else that we're distracted by. And for the next few moments, we pray, God, may we see you. May we hear your voice. My God, may we understand you like never before. May we walk out of this place different. Pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> All right, so I said this is a different series. This isn't, if you're new here, this is your first time here this morning, understand this isn't the way we normally preach because this message and the next two messages, I'm just gonna be honest, are gonna be a big challenge for me. 
because I have to preach a massive section of scripture in a very small amount of time. Okay, so just, you're going to have to stick with me. I'm going to move fast as we talk about this story, but hear this. Throughout this, I believe there are words that are going to be spoken in every one of your lives, and I think there's something that God has for you here this morning. So as we're in this series, we're going to go to the, the kind of the big picture here. We're going to look at the, the map that we have here. We started several weeks ago with this, with the beginnings, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And what does it start with? In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God. This is his story. Before anything else, God. Before you, God. Before your life, God. Before all of history, God. This whole thing is about him. It's his plan. It's about him. It's pointing at him. It's all about him. And if we miss that, everything else gets lost because we turn this whole thing about us. We come to Jesus. How can I invite Jesus into my life? No, how can I surrender my life to him? That's what it means to follow Jesus. In the beginning, God. And so we looked at the creation story, and there's all these days of creation. What does God do? God takes this chaos, this watery chaos, and he brings order, right? He divides, he separates, he makes sense of this, and then he assigns purpose to all things in creation. Day after day after day, this is what God does. And then he gets to day six, and he creates mankind, right? In his image. And God assigns purpose to mankind. Remember, we talked about this. Part of that purpose is that they are given the authority to rule and reign over this creation, that's part of our role. That's why we're made in his image. We look like him. Under his authority, under him, we operate and we rule and reign over this creation on his behalf. Then we get to day seven. And what does it say? God takes a nap. No, God rests. God rests. And we said that word rest, what does it mean? It means that everything is as it should be. His kingdom has been established. Everything is under his authority. He's placed mankind on earth under his authority. It's all the way it's supposed to be. There's no pain. There's no tears. There's no disease. There's no sickness. There's none of that, right? There's no injustice. Everything is beautiful and perfect and good. And this is the picture that we're trying to get to at the end. Remember I said at the very end, a lot of times we think about fat babies, you know, in an angel soft commercial. Right, this is floating around. This is the picture we get. No, heaven is not. Heaven is a picture of what we see in Genesis chapter one. All things under God's authority. That's the picture. That's where we're heading again in the end. Except we get to page two, right? Genesis chapter three. What takes place in Genesis three? Sin enters the world. Why? Because mankind says we want to do things our way, and we still want to say that. Say, God, I want things my way. And when we did that, what happened? Sin entered the world. And we saw what sin does. Remember, sin has consequences. And you know that in your own life. Sin destroys. That's just what it does. First, it destroyed this perfect relationship we had with God. But it also destroyed the relationship we have with one another. And more than that, it actually corrupted this world that we live in. As sin and disease was brought into this world. And it frustrated creation. But remember at the end of that story, what happens? God makes a promise. One day, what's going to happen? There will be a seed of that woman who will crush the serpent's head, pointing to Jesus. One day, I'm going to deal with this problem. Like, we're going to get to Jesus, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So we get there, the beginnings. Then last week, we got to Abraham. We talked about the story of Abraham. If you missed Micah's message, you got to go back and watch that message, all right? But, but God approaches a man named Abraham and says, I'm going to begin this new story. I'm going to begin this new journey that's going to end in Jesus. I'm going to start with you, Abraham. And he approaches Abraham and it says, here's the deal. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a land, all of your own. You don't have a land, what we would call today as modern day Israel, that vicinity. God, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're, you're going to be as numerous as the, the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore, right? 
going to do this. And here's the important part. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and through you, I'm going to bless all mankind. See, here's the problem. They missed that part of it. Because in time, you'll see the Israelites thought that the blessing was all about them. Oh, God, yeah, oh, God, I love it. I love it that you love us, God. We must be so awesome that you love us, right? Like, we must be the best. Yeah, it's all, no, no. The whole point of your blessing is that God could bless others through you. And that's the thing we miss today, even as the church. We just love to live, just, oh, Jesus, let's see, Jesus, you love me, it's so good, whatever. No, God blesses you so that you can bless others. You have been forgiven to forgive. You have been loved to show love. Like, that's the point. It's not supposed to end with you. You're not supposed to be a bucket just retaining all the good things. You're meant to be a funnel that's pouring out the good things to the world around you, right? And so this is what God says. Abraham, I'm gonna do something in you. We get to chapter 15. This is what uh, Micah shared last week. And if you, were, if you missed them, there were body parts all over the place <laughs> up here last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, seriously, you should watch that message. It was a great message. But God covenants with Abraham and says, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and I know that you're gonna fail, Abraham. You're not perfect. I know you can't keep this covenant perfectly, so I'm gonna take it on myself. I'm gonna take it all myself. And it was this picture of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Recognizing that we are broken and lost and we could never solve it ourselves, Jesus came, right? And that's what we see here. Go back and watch that message. Uh, but I would say this, that when you go into Matthew chapter one, Go to Matthew chapter one, and it's the lineage of Jesus. It's this long train of names. Where does it start? Abraham. So this is why we start. This long story is about to come, and it ends with Jesus. Why do I say this? Because here's what's about to happen when you go through the story. You're gonna read some crazy stuff. There's some stories in here you're like, I don't like that story. There's some stories in here, whoa, that person was evil. I thought they were a good person. They're doing weird stuff. They're doing wrong stuff, right? You're gonna read that over and over again and you're gonna think to yourself, man, why would God bless a person like that? Why would God use a person like that? Why would a person like that be in scripture? You have to know this. Hear this in your ears. We have to get to Jesus. We have to get to Jesus. That's the point. Abraham, I'm calling you, I'm gonna bless you, and we're gonna get to Jesus one way or another. And throughout this story, you're gonna see stuff go crazy, and you're gonna see stuff go corrupt. You know, we have to get to Jesus, all right? All right, so we're gonna continue now today as we get into the section I just called the Exodus. Abraham has a son. His son's name is Isaac, the child of the promise. Remember, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm gonna make you as numerous as can be, right? The problem is Abraham's old and he doesn't have any kids. So he's like, how is that gonna happen, God? God eventually in his old age gives him a son named Isaac, but God does something very peculiar and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice that son of yours. And he says, exactly. (laughs) You see, you're gonna understand God's intention in a moment because here's the problem that we have in times in life is that, that oftentimes we allow the gift to become more important than the giver. That God has given us something, and we say, God, my hope is in the gift. And he's saying, listen, Abraham, at the end of the day, it better be me. See, this is the problem. We can, turn, we can make an idol out of the good things God's put in our hands. That thing, and, and in this moment, he's saying, listen, Abraham, I have made a promise to you. I have said something to you. And if you're not careful, you're gonna think that Isaac is where your hope is, this child. That's where your hope is. That better never, never become your hope. Your hope better in, be in me. 
But we do the same thing, right? You get that relationship and suddenly your world is all about that relationship. You get that job, it's all about that. You get that money, you get that promotion, you get that influence, you get whatever it is God has given you. And you're like, thank you, God. Now I'm gonna focus here. Instead of saying, God, how can I use what you've given me for your glory? It's all about how has this thing become all about me, right? And so this is what he says. Listen, and, and Abraham says, okay, God, I'm willing to give you my son. And, and as we see, that wasn't God's in t- intention to take his son. Instead, he gives him a rand to replace his son to say, listen, I wanted, I wanted your heart. And you'll see throughout scripture, that's God's desire. He wants your heart in everything. And so we've got Abraham's got Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob is blessed and has all of these kids. And he has 12 sons that eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel that we'll read about for the rest of the Old Testament, all right? One of those sons is named Joseph. And Joseph is, is his favorite son. Why? Because he's from his favorite wife. We've all got a favorite wife, right? You know? Right? I've got a okay. I have, I have a favorite wife, clearly, my only wife, but she's awesome. Um, I know, it's, this is the weird stuff, but that's fine. So he's got his favorite wife, and, and he has a son, Joseph, and so this is, this is his favorite son, right? He loves him. If you've ever seen the musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, anybody ever seen that musical? Okay, this is the story of this. And uh, he gives him this coat of many colors, and then Joseph has this dream that says, man, I'm, my brothers are all going to bow down to me. So he's real smart, so he tells his brothers this, and they don't really like that so much. And so they decide, well, let's kill him. But they're like, nah, we shouldn't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell their brother into slavery. And through a very long story that you can read in the back half of Genesis, uh, there's a story where he goes through all this crazy stuff, but eventually through only an act of God, he ends up second in command over all of Egypt, only second to Pharaoh. And he's placed there for a very specific reason because what's going on? There's a famine in the land and his responsibility is to help oversee the food, to provide food. Now what's happened? He's in Egypt. All of his family is still back in that land that we would call Israel today in that vicinity. And they're starving. They've got nothing. And they say, hey, let's go to Egypt and see if we can get some food. And so they journey to Egypt and they come face to face with their brother. And the moment when this is revealed, when they understand, they're thinking this guy's gonna kill us, right? But you see, he understood something differently because he was now in this position to actually rescue his family. He caused his whole family to move to Egypt. They gave him the best of the land. They provided the food. If it wasn't for Joseph, they would be dead, And so when the brothers came and said, oh no, don't kill us, here's the thing that Joseph said. What you intended for evil, God meant for good. See, you meant it for evil. You meant to take me out. You meant to kill me. God meant it for good. He used it for good. And some of you know exactly what this is like. You know it because God has taken the hard things, the painful things, the broken things in your life, and though the enemy was trying to use it to hurt you, God can use it to do something beautiful in your life. I'm gonna tell you a story here, and I'm not gonna meddle in the theology of this, so don't get mad at me here. I'm just gonna tell you what happened to me, and I believe God's gonna speak to you through this, okay? This was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I'm driving down Highway 13, in Egan, driving to work in the morning. And I was in one of those seasons in life where I'm like, ah, oh God, I don't, I don't really like where I'm at in my faith. I feel like, I feel a little like 
far from you. I don't feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm stuck a little bit. And I pray this prayer. I don't have a good memory. If I ever remember your name, you should feel blessed because I have a horrible memory. Okay, I forget stuff all the time. Just ask my wife. But I, I, I literally, I remember this moment driving in the car and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, do whatever you gotta do to get me wherever you want me to be, which is a very dangerous prayer to pray. Don't pray that prayer unless you are ready for God to do something, okay? So this is where I say I'm not gonna meddle in the theology of what took place. I'm just gonna tell you what happened. Two weeks later, I started experiencing the worst pain of my life. And over the next three months, I was dealing with serious pain all the time. I was medicated most of the time just to try and get through the day, all right? It was a very challenging time, and through several procedures and whatever, they finally came to the point after three months of discovering that I had Crohn's disease, and that was what was going on in my body. And over the last 10 years, I have dealt with Crohn's disease, and you know, I go through good times, I go through times that are not so good, all those kind of things, neither here nor there. But here's what I want to tell you. I have never known God as deeply as I know him in the pain. I've never seen him as deeply as I have in the valleys. Okay? There are things that God has taught me of his character. There's things that he has given me a heart for people who are hurting that I could have never experienced had I not experienced pain myself. All right? Am I going to say God gave me, no, I'm not going to say that. God allow it, I don't know. I'm not going to get into theology. My theology of that has gotten a lot grayer in my life. It's okay. Right? All I know is that God took what the enemy meant for evil and he can use it for good in my heart. And he has used it for good in my heart. And why do I, why do I say this to you? Because you have a choice. Because you will walk through a valley at some point in your life. Some of you are there right now. You're in a season you don't like. You didn't put yourself there. You don't like it. You have a choice in that moment. You can become bitter. You can. You can allow that thing to absolutely destroy you. That is your choice. But if you will keep your heart submitted to God, what the enemy meant for evil, God can produce good in your life. He can do something powerful in you. Just stay submitted, and Joseph knew that. So all the Israelites end up coming to Egypt. Unfortunately, just a couple generations goes by, and the story of Joseph and the Israelites is forgotten, and the new Pharaoh says, ooh, I got free labor here. And the Israelites are brought into slavery for the next 400 years in Egypt, enslaved. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, in slavery, God finally responds. 400 years later with a man named Moses, he calls him and says, listen, you're gonna go set my people free. I'm gonna send you. As a, and he's like, well, not me. He says, no, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna display my power through you. You are gonna bring salvation, right? You're gonna bring salvation to my people. You'll see this. Moses is a little picture of Jesus ahead of time. And so he goes to Pharaoh, and, and if you've ever, ever, who's ever seen the Ten Commandments, the movie The Ten Commandments, you ever seen that, right? Uh, Charlton Heston, he makes a great Moses, that's great. And, uh, and there's all the music playing, whatever, and he goes, and all the things are happening, and all the plagues are getting sent, whatever, and Pharaoh kept saying, no, 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 no. Ten times he sends plagues. Finally, the last plague gets sent, and what happens? Uh, he says, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna destroy the firstborn of everyone in this nation. Why, does, why is God gonna do that? Because that's exactly what Pharaoh had done one generation earlier to the Israelites, okay? And so he responds by saying, okay, this is what I'm gonna do, but here's, here's what you need to tell the people, Moses, all the Israelites, they need to celebrate what I'm gonna call the Passover meal. 
Some of you have heard the Passover. Jews still celebrate the Passover every year, correct? And, and this idea is this. You're gonna celebrate a meal. You're gonna sacrifice a lamb and then you're gonna take the blood of that lamb and you're gonna wipe it on your own doorpost on both sides and then up above the top, right? And I'm gonna send an angel that is gonna destroy the firstborn but everywhere the angel sees that blood, they will pass over that door, right? And it will be a saving grace for you. And see, this is a picture that we get of Jesus. Remember last week when Micah was talking about this whole picture of Jesus? When was he crucified? On the Passover. He was the perfect lamb sacrificed for us. See, there's, there's all this stuff. Everything was pointing to Jesus, remember? All this stuff, every time you read it. And so this moment happens and, and all of the Israelites firstborn are protected and Egypt loses all their firstborn and Pharaoh says, finally, get out of me. Get, get away from me, I don't want you here. And he sends the Israelites away and they're free and they come up to the Red Sea. You know the story, if you've seen the movie, you know the waters part, it's awesome and they go through and then when they come back, all the, the soldiers get killed in the water. It's a great mo- moment in the movie. I'm sure it happened just like that in real life. <laughs> Music and everything, it was probably amazing. But So now they're, they've been freed. God has rescued them, this beautiful picture of God saving them and now they're out in the desert. But they need provision. And what you're gonna see if you read the story over and over and over, God brings the provision that they need. He gives them the water that they need. He gives them the food miraculously over and over, providing everything that they need, eventually bringing them to Mount Sinai. And God is gonna begin something new. He, he has Moses come up on Mount Sinai and says, listen, I am going to, I'm going to once again have a covenant with you, my people. Remember, God covenanted with Abraham back here. He said, I'm taking this all on myself. God says, we're gonna have another covenant over here with the Israelites. This one's gonna be a little different, though. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna be your God. There's some things that I'm gonna do for you, but there's some things you're gonna have to do in response. This is a mutual thing. We both have our part to play in this covenant. He says, I wanna be with you. I want to dwell among you. That's the point. You remember back in Genesis 1, God wants to be with his people, but the only way I can be with you people you evil people who tend to go the wrong way. And if you follow the story, as soon as Moses comes down from the mountain, he realizes these people have been sacrificing to idols while he was gone. Like, God knows these people are gonna keep messing up, all right? But I'm gonna provide ways. I'm gonna establish a law. I'm gonna give you the 10 commandments. I'm gonna give you a, a, a way that you can stay in relationship with me to stay pure so that we can have fellowship and relationship together. And I wanna be your God. I will lead you. And so he leads them through the desert and the goal is he's taking them back from Egypt, back to the land that he promised to Abraham, that area in Israel. That's the goal. That's what the promised land is. If you've ever heard that phrase before, he's gonna lead them to the promised land. The problem is he leads them to the promised land and what do they do? They send some spies into the land to check it out. You know what the spies say? It's awesome. God, it's everything you said it would be. It's amazing. All this stuff that you've provided, it's amazing. Problem. There's really big people in there and there's cities that are fortified and I don't think we got enough to take them out. Which seems ridiculous when you just had a God part the waters. (laughs) provide miraculously food in the desert, all of this amazing stuff, right? But they said, no, I don't think God is big enough to do this. And I think unfortunately for some of us, that's where we're at. God desires some things, he's provided some things, he's made a way for some of you. There's things he's calling you into and you're standing at the edge looking at it saying, I don't think I can step into that. And you know what happened to the Israelites? For the next 40 years, God had them wander in the desert until the generation who had no faith was gone. And I think some of us are wandering in life. God has called us to something 
And we've said, I don't think so. And God's said, all right, you want to do things your way? Go for it. Are we going to be people of faith? Are we going to be willing to say, God, I, I hear your voice and I'll do it. I'll step out in faith because I trust you, God. My trust is not in myself. My trust and my confidence is not in me. All right? So that's the end of the story for today, okay? This is where we get to the end of the story. Next week, we're going to continue the big story. But what I want to do is I want to rewind back to a moment in this story because I think God wants to speak something to us here this morning. If you look back at the passage that we read in Exodus chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 18, it said this, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. See, this is the moment where God says, Listen, I'm, Moses, you come up on the hill. You come up on the mountain. I'm going to speak to you. And the people see this God. He's revealing himself in the, all the lightning and the thunder. And they have a moment of revelation. They realize how big God really is. And here's the fear that I have for us in the modern day church. Is we, we really like the squishy Jesus that likes to pet baby lambs and hold children on his lap. That's the God we like. And unfortunately, we forget that this is a holy, powerful, righteous God who is altogether other. That's what holy means. Set apart. He is other. And we so casually can approach this God like he's our buddy. When I was in college, I was in a music group, and we went to this camp. And at this camp, everybody got a hat. And you know what the hat said? Jesus is my homeboy. Okay? And it was a cute little gimmicky thing that they gave to everybody, and that's fine. Jesus, you know, he says, I stick closer than a brother, right? He's our friend. Those things are good. But we never need to forget that he is a holy, righteous God. I love him. He is not my homeboy. He is my Lord and my Savior, okay? He is king over all. He is creator God. In the beginning, God. We better never treat him as if he's nothing, we better never treat him like he's just our buddy. Hey, buddy. No, he is your king. And we need to treat him that way. Do we get to approach the throne of great grace with confidence, as it says? Yes, we do. But we don't treat it casually. He is still God. And so in this moment, they had a revelation of the glory of God. They see his power, who he really is. And they tremble. And that's good. Like, that's good. A holy fear of God is a good thing. If he truly can create all things, he's bigger than we are. We should act like it. All right? But what I don't like is the response. The response, they said, okay, he's big and holy, so Moses, you go talk to him for us. You go talk to him. We don't want anything to do with it. You go do it. And ever since then, we have had a desire to outsource our faith to the professionals. To say, oh, I get to come on Sunday. I get to, they, they did all the work for me. He prepared a sermon. Did the, all the work for me. Cool, just give it to me. Sweet, I'll be back next week. Have a week, great week, guys. We'll see you, right? You know how people come to me sometimes and they'll say things like this. Oh, Greg, Greg, I need you to come pray for my friend. I'm like, well, have you prayed for him? No, I need you to pray for him. Like, you realize you can pray to him too, right? He's your God too, right? He's yours, right? 
I'll have people say, I gotta, get my, I gotta get my friend to church so they can hear about Jesus. Hey, that's a good thing. Inviting people is a good thing. But I wanna say, you can talk about Jesus too, right? It's not just a professional thing. We don't just outsource it. You know, like let, let the professionals deal with that, right? I'm gonna come on Sunday and let Greg, because me and Amber, we're so good and we got, no, no. This faith thing is not intended to be that way, but we operate that way. And here's the danger with that. When we outsource our faith, when it's all about the, the professionals out there, then we have a tendency to then idolize those professionals to an unhealthy place because they're our means to God. And hear this, when they fall, I'll tell you this, one of, one of the guys that I looked up to, more information came out about his life this week. And it broke me. It disgusted me. All right? But in those moments, we have a choice to say, okay, where are my eyes? Who is my Lord? Who is my Savior? It can disgust you. That's fine. It can disappoint you absolutely because I guarantee you people will. But when we are living vicariously through someone else, we are in a dangerous position. Our call is to say, no. I love the leaders God has put. Hey, our desire is to serve you faithfully as your shepherd and pastor here. But at the end of the day, our hope is in God. And say, God, you're our Lord. You're our Savior. May I have my eyes on you, right? And so here is the, uh, here's the challenge I want to give you. We have a big so what every week. We say, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I say this week, here's what it is. Faith in Christ is a first-person experience. It's a first-person experience. You know, around here, we talk all the time. It's together. Like, it isn't just our personal relationship with Jesus. It's meant to be in the context of relationship. Absolutely. But it also has to be personal. It has to be this, I have a relationship with God. And the reason I just felt compelled to speak this this morning is I believe there's probably some here this morning, if you were totally honest, your faith is not yours. You are living vicariously through your spouse's faith, your parents' faith, your kids' faith, your grandma's faith, your friend's faith. I don't know whose faith you're living through. But God says, listen, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you, and I want you to know me in a deep and a powerful way. I want to invite you into this big story that I am writing in the world. There is a place for you, but it doesn't come on your terms comes on mine. Say, whoever would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, what does that mean? That he is in control, that it's all about him. And come, he's not just our Savior, he is our Lord. He made the way for us, though. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you, for the very first time, some of you, uh, for I don't know how many times it's been, but you need to turn back to God. You need a returning to him moment. Say, God, I want to give my life to you again. I want this to be a first person experience, a first person faith, all right? Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes all across the room? God, we thank you so much that you invite us into this. You invite us into a beautiful, a beautiful picture, and we're so grateful for that, God. God, we don't understand it, but we're grateful for it, Lord. And God, we acknowledge that there are times when we want to live vicariously through others, God, where we want to outsource our faith to the professionals. We don't want to engage our own hearts. And God, I pray that you would 
Forgive us of those times, God. And for the times when we step out, God, bring greater conviction. God, would you call us back to yourself, to intimacy with you? Even me, God, as a pastor, God, may I never make my profession what it's about. May it be a, a relationship with you, God, to know you, God, to walk with you, God. Desperately need that, Lord. God, across this room, I pray that you would just draw hearts to yourselves with every head bow, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, whether it's for the first time or you're just feeling God calling you back to him to say, God, I want that first person experience with you. If that's you, would you just as an act of faith just raise your hand across the room and say, God, I want you. I give you my life again. I offer myself to you. Yeah, across the room. Across the room, yeah. Anybody else? Raise your hand. It's okay. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I just invite you to pray in your own heart as I pray right now. God, we thank you that you call us back. Father, you're not standing with a bat ready to whack us over the head. You are standing with arms wide open saying, would you come to me? Come to me. Come to me. So God, right now we turn our hearts toward you. God, we acknowledge that you are king. We acknowledge that you are Lord. We acknowledge that you are in control. And Father, we come to you and we submit our lives to you completely. God, we believe in your son. We believe he is Lord. We believe he died and rose again to overcome sin. And we place our faith in that Jesus. And God, we lay ourselves down. We give it all to you, God. We live for you, God, that you would be glorified in us. God, I pray for every person who maybe is strayed away a little bit. God, I pray that they would turn wholeheartedly toward you. God, to prioritize you, to focus on you, to give you their attention, Lord. And God, for all of us in this church, may we be known as a church, not of passive people, not of secondhand Christians, but God, may we be those who know our God and serve our God and live for our God in every way. We thank you, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.